0: This message is brought to you by Cornerstone Gospel Church in Frankston, Australia. Praise you for your grace and your mercy towards us. Thank you, Father God, for the love you've shown us in Christ Jesus. Thank you for the instruction of Scripture. Thank you for the wisdom, Lord, of, uh, of Proverbs and the writings of the Psalms that give us so much wisdom, Lord, for living our lives and the teachings of your Son, Christ Jesus our Lord. We thank you, Father. Lord, help us to continually turn to you, to turn to you in these things and to trust you, Lord God, that many of us may experience, Lord, the freedom of the supernatural peace that you bring into the hearts of Christians who simply trust you. Even though our minds may wrestle with Trusting you in that moment, but learning to discipline the mind and trust you, Lord God, and to experience that freedom and peace which comes from it. We praise you. We thank you, Lord. We ask you to bless this message this morning to our hearts in Christ's name, Amen. And so, so I just would say, you know, on that, um, uh, that these kinds of things often are a battle, you know, and. and so it's not that you're just going to say, oh, God guarantees us peace and so I've got peace now. But there's this walking in obedience to the passage, you know. And uh, I can still remember that morning um, in January, uh, 1984. Um, and it was just a wonderful no, 1985, sorry. It was just a, a wonderful moment just to be at prayer, open my Bible, come across that passage And then just to say, Lord, this is your promise here. I'm going to take you at that. Please give me your peace. You know, and trusted him in that and began to walk in obedience to that. And the the change was um, almost instantaneous, but definitely over the next couple of days, that feeling of anxiety left. And, you know, my anxiety was bad, like handshaking and, and skin issues and all kinds of stuff. So. And God healed me. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. The nature of true Christianity. Psalm 19. Why don't we turn to Psalm 19. Hallelujah. Beautiful passage. If I'm not mistaken, I think it's one of... Brother Phil's favorite passages. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord, and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Our generation is overwhelmingly naturalistic in its approach. Uh, the mantra of today is but scientists say or the science says um, whatever that science is that they're talking about because you know, when you talk to people they will often say but the science says And when you ask them what science, they have no idea. They just are repeating something that they've heard over and over again uh, as people talk about issues like global warming and extinction of species or, you know, salination of the sea and all kinds of things that they talk about and everyone's now an internet uh, um, uh, expert on these things. But there is a wholesale commitment to the concept of uniformity of natural causes and, and if you think anything else you're seen to be irrational, you know um, uneducated, you're, you're uneducated and so when you talk about certain uh, scientists who are genuinely born again Christians and have degrees from distinguished universities like Oxford or, or uh, Harvard or various places and you say, but so-and-so, he's a doctor and, and he believes in creation, they say, oh, where did he get his doctorate? It must be from one of those backyard Christian universities or, or something. And, and if you say, you know, Oxford or Harvard, they, they are unbelieving about it and they tend to think that his religious faith has overridden any sensibility. And so even though we say we're biblical Christians... And we believe in the supernatural. We have to be careful because naturalism can crowd into our lives and cause us to to behave in such a way that we are naturalist in in practice. And this can infiltrate our thinking uh, without us recognising that it's coming upon us. And when this happens... Christians begin to lose the reality of, of living in the supernatural life that God would have us living. It's shocking the number of times we hear of Christians experiencing a loss of reality in their Christian lives. And... It's not necessarily surprising and perhaps it's the, the greatest reason, but it's not necessarily the surprising for the loss of this reality that while we say that we believe one thing and we may even convince ourselves that we do, we often live in a way that ex- that is a demonstration that we believe something else. Uh, and the naturalism of this age has crept upon us as such and so we we live as naturalists, even though we believe supernatural things. Amen. Yeah. You know, you've, if you've been a Christian for a while, you've heard somebody say these things. Ah, oh, yeah, I was a Christian for fifteen years, and you know, um, and then fill in the blank, whatever it may be. I went through my, you know, my wife left me, and. I cried out to God and there was no answer. And there can be all kinds of tragic circumstances that, that a person goes through. I'm not trying to make light of those circumstances. All kinds of tragedy that they go through, but ultimately their supernatural experience has given way to a very naturalistic approach to thinking in this world. And that that is a great tragedy. And so let's begin to look at the supernatural universe. Now, the Christians' spirituality, and we we have <coughs> spoken about this previously. It's not a standalone spirituality. It's related to a unity of biblical teaching. Um, this means that we we can understand things intellectually. This means that our our intellect can be reasoned with according to scriptural teachings, and it means that we can be challenged on those levels from scripture. It means that the universe is not naturalistic in origin or existence. It hasn't It hasn't come from a compression of atomic energy that's exploded into everything that we see today, but there has been a creation that the scripture makes very clear. Jesus spoke into existence and upholds by the word of his power. This relates to what we've been dealing with in earlier chapters. For example... We have learned previously that we're to love God enough to be able to say thank you, Lord, and rejoice in Him even in the difficult things. And, but if you're around unsaved people, you will know that that is very seldom the response of unsaved people, that, that they are thankful for their difficult circumstances. Sometimes it happens that a an unsaved person says, I went through a real tragic time and I'm thankful for it now because I learned a lot about myself. But they're not rejoicing in God for sending that circumstance into their life that caused this change so that they can rejoice and give thanks to Him for that change in their life. This is difficult. But understanding that God is supernatural and that the circumstances of your life have, have his governance over them, allows you in all of those circumstances to be able to say thank you to him and rejoice in the Lord in those circumstances despite the severity of them. We must immediately understand, as we say this, if the universe is of natural origin, then thanking God is meaningless. If the universe has appeared out, uh, you know, as if it was this con- compression of atomic energy and it's exploded and, you know, as, as who is that um, extremely caustic um, evolutionary physicist fellow? Yes, what's his name? No. Lawrence Krauss. As he says, the universe was once nothing and became everything. And then he went on to say, there's not nothing like you and I understand nothing to mean. It's a, it's a different nothing. And um, in other words, it's a philosophical kind of nothing that doesn't really mean nothing. So, when nothing... That could be a title of a book, When when Nothing Means Something. So, um, But what this means is that our existence and the troubles that come into our lives you and i are able to direct thankfulness to god for those things but if the universe is natural in origin there is no supernatural influence in it then thanking god is meaningless the mount of Tribula- uh, tri- tri- tribulation transfiguration reveals we're in a supernatural universe. It was a supernatural event that took place at that time. Now let's just let's just keep skipping forward. Christ's redemptive death has meaning in a universe in which there is a personal moral God. His redemptive death is meaningless outside of that. Why why would a man come and die on behalf of other people without a greater purpose to that? And we know that Paul talks about this. He says that sometimes a man will die for a good man. And and there's purpose in that. That you know, and, and we've seen that in our own nation, where men have gone and fought wars because they have believed in a purpose that's greater. For their kinsmen, for their home country. And so there's a purpose behind that. But Paul told us that Christ came and he died for sinners. And what is the purpose behind that? That God might redeem a people to himself. And that makes sense in a supernatural universe, it does not make any sense in a naturalistic universe. And and that's what we've been dealing with as we've read through Paul's writings that if Christ is not raised from uh, from the dead, then you and I are to be pitied more than everyone because we're believing a superstition. We're believing something that hasn't happened. In a naturalistic world, that hasn't happened. And this is why people given to naturalism so much Given to this naturalistic view of the universe when you say that Christ rose from the dead it, it, it chafes on them. They scoff at it because supernatural things don't happen. And when you die, you're dead. Dead people don't come back to life. God is not morally neutral. God is moral in character. And so as we read through Psalm 19, we saw that there is a a work of God's law, His commandments, His statutes, His edicts, that of purifying the individual soul. And part of that as we would discover later on from Paul's teaching, was to bring us into confrontation with ourselves because we would see by the standard of the law that you and I have failed, and therefore the law has revealed to us our sin. Our sin blocks us from being able to access God and, and, and being able to ascend into heaven when we die, and so God made a way for us by, by reconciling man's sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. This is all part of the supernatural universe we're in. Well, there's a question. What is Christianity to you? You know, people outside of Christianity will give answers to that. You can ask them, what is Christianity to you? And uh, if you've ever done any evangelism on the street, you've had this answer. Uh, People have said to you, well, it's a crutch that you needed, because you were weak, and uh, you know it's a it's a psychological support for the feeble-minded. Is is the way the world thinks about you and I. But Christianity cannot be separated from the unity of full biblical teaching. It's not to be abstracted from scripture and this is what a lot of religions have done they don't like something out of in the teaching of scripture so they they remove that from their philosophical point from their from their teaching the bible calls the church the bride and christ the bridegroom and scripture teaches that through this union we have linked we've been linked with christ he the crucified, risen, glorified Messiah will bring us forth, uh, or rather will bring forth fruit in us, his bride. Well, this makes sense in a supernatural setting. You know, some of you have become Christians at a stage in life where your former character was well-known, to people and then you get saved and your character is changed and then some years later you run into one of these people you knew before and they say things to you like wow man you've changed you used to be so angry you used to be so pig headed you used to be so anxious about things you used to be so selfish you used to be so rude All these things. And and at that point, you're able to testify. Why? Because Christ, what's what's happened? He's brought forth fruit in your life. And they're beginning to see it. As a young believer, I remember working with a guy and we talked about peace and anxiety because this was a man with a powerful gambling addiction. It was ruining his life. It had cost him everything in his life. He was in his early to mid-30s and he was living a life of extreme debt and difficulty. His parents had kicked him out of home because he'd gone back to live with them because of his poverty, but he was stealing from them because of his gambling addiction. We were working night shift and in the day he'd go and sit in the TAB and gamble on everything he could. He said, I just wish I had the peace you have one day. He said to me, See, this makes sense in a supernatural setting. But the reality is that some Christians live life like naturalists. Some Christians, for example, they struggle with anxiety, and their first response is to go to their doctor. First response. I'm not saying don't go to your doctor. I'm not saying that at all. You know, you can uncover all kinds of things at, at the doctor, and it could be it could be just a, a mineral deficiency through and you, that you can discover through a blood test that is causing something. But our first response should be to turn to the Lord in prayer. I mentioned my asthma that I had suffered with for 33 years in fact um, and it, it had been pretty bad uh, at various times, those rush trips down to the hospital injections as a kid, injections in the bum in the middle of the night uh, to be relieved of, of these, this chronic asthma, when for many years and I prayed and prayed when I became a Christian for God to heal me, I lived with this asthma for another 13 years and, uh, and it happened. I happened along this little breathing exercise uh, while I was intently praying for God to heal me. And I started doing a couple of these corny, cheesy little exercises. And, you know, I, I was relying on probably between 10 and 20 puffs of Ventolin plus uh, two or three puffs of Be- beclofort every day. No, it's all right. It's mood music for that. It's great. (laughs) That's it. And within a couple of weeks, all of that turned around. And I took that as an answer to prayer, that God had... He hadn't supernaturally healed me in that sense, but he he had provided a freaky way for me to learn this thing that changed everything about how I breathed. And I give him thanks for that. So, you know... The reality is that we can live in such a way that we demonstrate a disbelief of the supernatural by our lifestyle. Christian parents who, you know, the first thing they do when one of their children expresses something, uh, you know, oh, I'm really worried about this, is, is take them to the doctor and my child's been worrying about things. Oh, it's depression. Better get them on this antidepressant. Six years old. You know, kids should not be going to school talking about being on their antidepressants. I'm not saying kids don't struggle with things. But it shouldn't be the norm of life and it shouldn't be the first response from us to look into that. But the first response should be that we go to God in this, in prayer, in earnest prayer and demonstrate our faith in Him first of all and ask Him for His counsel and His wisdom in this And maybe sit and talk with our kids at the dinner table. Boy, I can tell you, I'd love to wind back the clock on our dinner table. We enjoyed those teenage years with our kids around that dinner table, I'll tell you. It was was intense sometimes. You know the discussions and the challenges and the theological issues and the, and discussing all kinds of things around that table and and Suzanne and I asking questions back to the kids to get them to think stuff through because we could see the logical response of where their thought processes were, were going and so we rather than say to them you know which we did plenty of times no that's that's wrong but first of all trying to get them to question where the logic was heading in their thinking processes. You know, mums and dads don't discount the power of that kind of discussion around the dinner table. And that's a time to do it. We don't always have time every day. But when we remove the supernatural from our universe as believers, when we do that, when we live in a naturalistic universe in thinking and in action, there's nothing left but anthropology and psychology these kinds of things it's just the study of mankind and the study of behavior and therefore that's the answer to everything sin's not an issue because sin is not a problem anymore so it couldn't be that and for me the chief trigger to my anxiety as a teenager was the sin i was living in that was the chief trigger. That is something that switched on when I was 18 years of age because of a newfound freedom that I had and that I was exercising. And my non-Christian conscience was at work hardcore on me. It wasn't giving me rest. And so I praise God for that because all of those things were triggers that led me to salvation. They were things that God used at that time. But when we're merely shut up in this study of sociology and anthropology and psychology as the answers to everything in life, well, you see, you, you know, you've got anxiety issues, Suzanne, because it's genetic through through your family history, because your father was a, an alcoholic and your grandfather escaped Germany and brought this anxiety with him from the war. You know, it's like. There's any number of excuses that you can that you can track down through these kinds of things. Alcoholism is a genetic issue by and large as far as the world's concerned, it's not an issue of choice. People are born homosexual now, that's not an issue of choice. You know, they completely hate their lifestyles that they're in, they're just trapped in it. And choose to be that way. According to the scientists. Without a shred of Uh, DNA evidence to that but this is what happens and so we saw that when we had the big debate on same sex marriage in Australia that no one who supported it wanted to have that debate but as as the debate pressed on and Christians were being pressed more and more that churches kept coming out of the closet so to speak and saying oh no we support this we support this. Why was that? Because they had a naturalistic view. They started saying, well, if God has made a person this way, who are we to stop them from loving each other? That is a naturalistic view of a situation. And what does that do? The great shame to that, the worst shame, what is worse than that person's sin, is that the church then, hardly a church, but the church, Traps those people in their sin by making a standard that is now totally naturalistic. And so as a result, people become fully trapped in sinful behavior because the church says there's nothing they can do about it. This is how they were born. We're going to love them anyway. I mean, truly, Christians never said we were not going to love people who live in that lifestyle but what we said is that that lifestyle is a sinful choice and like any sinful choice it must be repented of we'll get some flack when this goes to air, Chris <coughs> we live in a supernatural universe the reality of Christianity rests upon the existence of God and his supernatural creation. Let's hang on to that, beloved. Let's not let that go. True Bible-believing Christians are the ones who understand they live in a supernatural world and this has the effect of changing the way they live. It changes the way you live when you understand you live in a supernatural world. There are choices you make because of that. And Paul said this. Remember, he said, you know, we're keeping our eye on eternity. We we are seated with the Lord already. The, you know, we're positioned in Christ Jesus. Therefore, live in such a way to glorify Him. I'm not saying that there are not believers, genuine believers who have a naturalistic worldview in some senses. You know, there's a a, a man, um, uh, I'll ask you again, Jad, the the, um, John, uh, the maths professor. John 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 Lennox, thank you. Oxford professor, I think with multiple doctorates, Um, professor of mathematics and philosophy Um, and a good theologian oh right, a doctorate of theology he does some amazing debates online and he he defends the notion of God and the supernatural universe and uh, he has an old earth position uh, and so he's naturalistic in that view but he's very supernaturalist in terms of salvation and, and God. He has like that theistic creation kind of position. And so I'm not saying that he's not a believer because of that, but it affects the way he views some things. Obviously, you can't hold to positions like that and not be affected. And so for the Christian who has an understanding of the supernatural world, that we're in, the supernatural universe, our supernatural creator, this is going to affect the way we live. Now, from the biblical viewpoint, the supernatural is not unusual. From the biblical viewpoint, the supernatural is is kind of the normal. We're, we're sort of living a a subpar viewpoint i won 't say subnatural because it 's natural we 're living in when we live with a naturalistic view when the world lives with a naturalistic view, it is actually subpar it 's below standard and so this understanding of God and his existence and the creation and the supernatural uh, teachings of scripture and the intervention of God into the world on our behalf through Christ Jesus. That understanding of the supernatural is par. That's standard as far as Scripture presents, presents things. So I'm going to present to you two chairs. We could, we could sit two chairs down here. We could have chair A and chair B. Um, and we'll put a man in those chairs and he can be the chairman. Um, now, everybody sits in one of those chairs, chair A or chair B. Everybody sits in one of those chairs. We're all sitting in one of these chairs at at any moment in life. And these chairs represent the supernatural outlook of life and the natural outlook on life. The Christian, the biblical Christian, he faces total reality the seen and the unseen. He faces all of this. The Christian is the man who sits in chair A and and he's going through life in the scene. He's in, interacting and engaging with people in this level. He goes to work. He pays his taxes, pays his bills. He engages. He struggles with the issues of life and, and relationship and communication. All these things are happening in the scene world, the world that's around him. He witnesses to people and he gets rejected by people or or uh, or somebody gets saved and, and they love him forever uh, as a result of their conversion. But he's also connected to the unseen world. But the unbeliever is a man who merely faces the natural, the seen. That's all he can do. And so, you know, um, we've uh, occasionally done a... Um, a bit of a fossil find with John uh, uh, John Mackay the creation guy I'm, I'm having trouble with names today see the, the Alzheimer's has really kicked in and um, and so we've going we've gone and done a bit of a fossil search with John Mackay and so um, you know right down at the Mount Martha foreshore or Mornington foreshore and it's interesting when you get down onto the beach below and you look up and then you can see, and, and John pointed this out to us on the first time we did a fossil tour, fossil tour finding tour there, he pointed out to us this layer of shells that runs along the beach and, and if you're able to get up onto the cliff face you can dig them out, little um, oyster shells and, and um, uh, whatever they call the little white ones and things like that. And it runs along and the uh, at a certain level there in the evolutionary Explanation of that is Aboriginal campsites because Aboriginals love to eat these things. But that's a, you know, the round the fire. That's a really long fire because it stretches for you know about a hundred meters. That's uh, they didn't even come back to the same spot every day and 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 uh, shell their oysters or whatever it was there. But because they're reading through a naturalistic worldview, how did these shells all get there? And they all face a certain direction. If you've ever shelled oysters and what are they called? The little, the little white ones, pippies, and that, and you throw away the shell. The shell lands sometimes up, sometimes down. But when you look at that layer of shells, they're all facing in the one direction. And I believe it's down that they're always facing, and that's how they settle when they're in water. They always settle into the same direction. So there's a whole layer of shells along there like that with with a a dump of dirt over the top which is an indication that at some point these shells were swamped by a lot of mud that was shifted by some flood and it dumped on top of them there. And uh, John pointed out to us the Latrobe Valley. It's a massive coal deposit down there. It's a valley. Uh, And so, you know, there are there were billions of tons of trees that, in some massive flood event, was were washed down into that valley and settled there as more mud was then dumped over the top of them. Some massive flood event. I'm not sure what that could have been, but but the Christian will have a a supernaturalistic worldview of that and see that 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 these kinds of events fit into a biblical model where the evolutionist has a different view of those kinds of things. And so, you know, that's why the Christian is able to explain uh, fish fossils, for example, fish fossils where the fish is giving birth to another fish and has been trapped, and has been trapped rapidly because when a fish dies, like... You know, some animals die giving birth. That happens. But they don't sink to the bottom and get swamped by mud. But if an animal is giving birth and is swamped by mud all within a very short moment of time, then the young is trapped in the birth canal and the mother is trapped and then the minerals do their work to form the fossil. A supernaturalistic worldview allows you and I to see the seen world and the unseen world and to give explanation to what we see. And, of course, the naturalist will say, well, you are giving a world, you're giving a view to this that's informed by your religious position. And we would have to say, amen, that's correct. But that's because it's correct. And that's because it explains this geological event in a way that gives evidence to it the grand canyon is not just a trickle of water that's carved out a canyon that is miles wide at some points and and over a, a nearly a mile deep i think at the deepest part or or a kilometer deep it's not just it's not just that through a little trickle of water but it does fit with a massive push of uh, and, and a giant dump of sediment into that valley area, the Nevada area. It fits with that being dumped into there and washed out like a rut gets washed out when dirt gets pushed into it. And you see graders that come along down a road and they push all the dirt into it, and the first rain that and they compact it, and the first rain that comes along on that dirt road, and you end up with a big rut there because those soils are soft and they're able to be washed away. From the Christian viewpoint, I would say that no one has ever been so naive as the 20th century man. In our wisdom, our knowledge, we've become fools, as Paul says in Romans 1. these positions being a supernaturalist and being a naturalist cannot both be true the supernaturalist you and I as born again believers can see the seen and the unseen but to deny the unseen that is what the naturalist does and so this is the law of non-contradiction that is at work at this point in time which is simply when two things are opposed that, you know, both claiming to be true, when they're opposed in some way that one of them has to be wrong. And so one of these views, the supernaturalist and the naturalist, one of them is wrong. So, biblical... Christians live in the reality of the supernatural and the natural. Amen? Sadly, it is possible, even quite common, for a Christian to be so infiltrated by the the thinking of the 20th century and the 21st century that we can live life in such a way that the supernatural, it's as if it were not there. And you and I probably all have wrestled with that to some degree. The supernatural does not touch the Christian only at the new ver- new birth and then at death. And so then in between, we just live in the natural. That's not what Paul said. Paul said that at your new birth, when you were born again, you were, by virtue of being positioned in Christ, seated with him in heavenly places. That is the reality of your positional righteousness in Christ Jesus, that you have been washed clean, that you will be presented to the Father in Christ Jesus, cleansed, purified. But boy, we wrestle with some sin here, don't we? We wrestle with some thinking. We wrestle with some behavior. And what is all of that? It is a naturalistic viewpoint. Oh, I just got so angry. I don't know what overcame me. Naturalism overcame you you were forcing things in the natural world right now res- trying to respond to it out of your heart rather than thanking God for it I tell you somebody has a, a good habit of cheesing you right off and and uh, you know they they're cheesing you off and you know at that moment you begin thanking God you're going to have trouble thanking God and having an outburst of rage against that person at the same time. Suzanne never upsets me, but if I had upset her, I mean that, that probably never happens as a babe at all. Um, so, um, if I had upset her and she was feeling angry, but if she thanked God for what was happening, it's going to be hard for that rage to come to the surface. <coughs> So being a biblical Christian means living in the supernatural now. Remember, chair A. This is not theoretical, but it's in practice. If a man denies the existence of God, he's 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 living as an unbeliever, as we said earlier. And every believer is in one chair or the other. And so what do we call this if we're living the life of faith by being in chair A, by being in chair B, we're living a life of unfaith. Remember, why did God kill so many in the wilderness of the children of Israel? Because of their unbelief. They were living naturalistic lives or maybe false deities and various different things. But oh, we had it so good when we were in Egypt. I mean, we had food and water and everything was good, the riches of Pharaoh. It was insane thinking because they had slavery and hardship and torment but we forget that when we start thinking with the naturalistic view, we only remember that which is good so it seems. Every believer is in one chair or the other at any given moment and so we we are supposed to be in the chair A but sometimes we face things like we're sitting in chair B yeah. and we will struggle between victorious faith and defeated unfaith unbelief we will struggle in these areas you're going to struggle with them. But acknowledging that we are in a battle, acknowledging that that Paul speaks of the unseen unseen realm as being a present reality. And that this life is the sojourn that we are in. This is our pilgrimage on the way to that place, that city which will be our home. Hallelujah. That helps us to to live in the chair of faith. What is the truth about unfaith? How do we how do we recognise it? Well, these are activities that are in the flesh. It doesn't matter what activity that is. You know, we can make noise about soul winning. Uh, or we can talk about um, you know uh, church growth or or whatever it might be but we can do all of these things in the flesh by putting ourselves at the center of that issue and and relying on the arm of the flesh when we live in unfaith We're playing at Christianity. Now let that sink in for a moment. This is a truth about what unfaith is, living in chair B, being in that that in that moment is a playing at Christianity. The real battle is not against flesh and blood, as Paul said, but is about high places. And this is a battle to do with realms of thought and and understanding, realms of teaching. Francis Schaeffer said, In times of war, while the big brothers are away in the real battle, the little boys at home play soldier. They act like soldiers, all right but they have no contact with nor any influence on the real battle that's being fought. I think every little boy understands that uh, if they've played soldiers at all. Of course, politically incorrect these days for children to play soldiers because soldiers have guns. Guns are evil, apparently. And so if we are... Trying to live the Christian life while living in the chair of unfaith, we're playing at war. We're we're not in contact with the real battle. When you see when you see a Christian who who has struggled with something, beloved, they're in the battle. They are in the battle. They may not be walking seemingly victorious in that moment, but if they are reaching out and pleading with God, They're in the battle. They're just getting a few scars along the way. There's an old saying, if your nose hasn't been broken, you're not a boxer. You know? Or you're a very good one. Another aspect of unfaith is that we're not bringing honour to God. Therefore, God will not honour the weapons of our choice. Think about those movements. Uh, you know, in recent decades, the Toronto and 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 um, those kinds of things. They had all of these amazing spirituality involved in them. But a decade later, the immorality that came to the surface, the financial abuse that was exposed the marital problems involved in those ministries, the all kinds of things. Why is that? Because God wasn't going to honour those false and perverse systems of teaching and <coughs> behaviour. In fact, they were just living in a chair of unbelief, those people. They had concocted systems that were trying to energise people into forms of spirituality. And it was all a sham. Hudson Taylor said, the Lord's work done in the Lord's way will never fail to have the Lord's provision. We could turn that around. The Lord's work done in human system and energy is not the word Lord's work any longer. therefore will not have his provision. It's something, but it's not the Lord's work. Now, I've got a little to go, but because we talked about that anxiety at the beginning, we'll just wrap up with these two questions. If the real battle is in the heavenly places, are the heavenlies a long way off? If Paul says that you have been born again by the Spirit of God and are now and are now seated with him in heavenly places. Are the heavenly places a long way off? He's not talking about geography. He is talking about the spiritual realm. He is talking about something whereby God, in the moment of a person's death is able to transport someone from here to being in his presence but we think about these things as a long way off don't we we don't think about our imminent death for example we don't think about the imminent return of Christ we think about these things like we've got forever and then we you know we get cancer or some other fatal malady of some kind and so we we start living life super or maybe uber naturalistically. We become so naturalistic in our approach because we're trying to fight this death. Now if Christ doesn't return, you are going to die. If he doesn't return in your lifetime, you're going to die. You and I will all die if Christ does not return before that time this body must perish to put on immortality and so we have to stop thinking about the heavenlies as being a long way off so therefore does not our individual part really become rather important in the work of God you know We'll consider these questions next week. I'll leave you with them now. Because, you know, there's been plenty of CEOs who've said to people or plenty of managers who've said to people, you're not expendable, you know, or you are expendable, rather. Nobody here is, is uh, not expendable, you know. So I've, I've heard a few pastors say that, actually that's encouraging you know, everyone here is expendable um, but in the kingdom of God you and I are soldiers for Christ Jesus and so our part in this generation that we're in now becomes important we have impact to make but not impact from chair B impact from chair A What might that impact be? That impact might be a mum who earnestly prays for one lost child that she's had. And that child becomes converted at some point and has that impact. And, And that's her impact in life, remaining faithful to Christ and trusting Christ that he will convert her son. Who knows what that impact will be? Or it could be a shoe salesman who who is responsible for sharing the gospel that converts a man called D.L. Moody. Who, without the aid of megaphone, internet, microphone, electricity, saw over a quarter of a million people converted in his lifetime. That's, That's a pretty awesome impact, isn't it? But it's because... A shoe store clerk was, or manager was responsible enough to be living in the supernatural in that moment and share the gospel with this young man. So your part in the kingdom of heaven is vital now. The Lord's work done in the Lord's way will never fail to have the Lord's provision. I'd urge you to read Hudson Taylor's work uh, the biography about him into China. It's a phenomenally encouraging book of a man who faced uh, great challenges. Hallelujah. The Supernatural Universe. Prayerfully, this week, you will think more supernaturalistically And ask God to use you for his purpose in this world while you live here. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. We praise you this morning. Thank you for the love and the grace you've shown us. Lord, help us and help this young generation, Father, who are being so distracted by the science, as it's called. And every challenge that they face emotionally is, is coming under medical scrutiny and they're being pumped up on all kinds of drugs and distracted from working through the issues of their lives thinking that every malady they face is something no one else has faced before or, or that a pill can take those issues away Lord, help us to learn to give you thanks in everything and that there may be in life a cross that we are to bear as a, a, a testament to your glory. We praise you, Lord. We thank you for your grace. Help us to learn to live in chair A of supernaturalism and see both the seen and the unseen realm in Christ's mighty name. Thank you for listening to this message. You're welcome to duplicate this message in its entirety for non-profit purposes. For more information and resources, visit cgc.org.au.